If I haven't met you, my name is John McGee. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and one of the directors of marriage ministry uh, here at Watermark. And so uh, I've been on staff for about 14, I think 13, 14 years. Uh, It's been really fun just to make this part of uh, my wife and I's rhythm every week uh, to be here in some capacity. And so it's fun to be here uh, with you tonight. And so at leaders meeting, um, someone posed the question, what, given all that we've seen here at Watermark, what is the most like critical factor for couples? Like if you could just put your money on one square uh, and if a couple could get it right, they would be okay. What would it be? And, and always my answer is it's always going to be Jesus right? Um, it's always going to be that if you can get someone, it doesn't have to even be both of them, you can get one person just to sit before God every day for 10 to 15 minutes and say, God, what's my part in all this? What would it look like to love you and honor you by the way I love my spouse? How do you want me to love them? What, what do I need to repent of? How can I uh, tangibly move towards them? If that happens, incredible things always happen in the, in the marriage. And someone will have to go first. That rarely happens at the same time. And the other one is what we were talking, uh, what was just this idea of forgiveness. And it's been my experience that that lesson, kind of about five, six, when that happens for many couples, it, it is kind of like their car high centers. Right? I don't know if your car is ever high centered, like hypothetically, if you and your buddies in high school were somewhere you shouldn't have been, and uh, your buddy ran up something on, in the field and the car was uh, teetering, that's, that's, that's high centering. right? And when that happens, you've got a choice um, are we going to like push this thing forward? Are we going to get? It's going to be hard, but we've got to dislodge this thing. Are we going to push it forward and go? Um, are we going to push it back off and just go? Uh, actually, go in reverse and move away. In, in the marriage context, it would be moving away from oneness. Uh, are we just going to stay here? Are we just going to stay in this kind of unforgiving uh, state? And that is an issue. Kind of that that uh, that point in time that I see a lot of couples. Uh, make decisions about how they're going to relate to each other, how they're going to obey God, uh, that has a lot of impact. It has a huge impact on the trajectory of, of where they go from here. And so tonight we're going to talk about forgiveness. Um, and it's been my experience that generally couples will ask, well, how, how do I forgive? Or how many times should I forgive? And the good news is that before you and I were even wondering those questions, Jesus was talking about that with his disciples uh, in Matthew 18. So if you have your Bible... Or, uh, or your app. Um, somebody just said about his kids, I think it's true, that uh, to his kids the Bible isn't a book, it's an app. Um, which I think is really, that's probably, probably pretty true. That's what my kids, uh, I rarely see them with their, their Bibles. But they, have, they do have the app. Um, so pull it out. Uh, we're in Matthew 18, um, 21. And so Peter, who is one of uh, Jesus' disciples, comes to him and and ask, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Is it up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So in the Jewish culture, you were kind of expected or commanded to forgive three times. The fourth time it was on them and you didn't have to forgive. And so Peter's just saying, hey, you know, Jesus, like I'll double this. Do I have to forgive someone up to seven times? And Jesus says, absolutely not. It's, it's so much beyond that. It's 70 times, which is really to say there's really not a, a number you're going to hit that you don't have to forgive um, anymore. You're going to have to forgive every time. And so that, that's the question that, that Peter was asking. He was asking how many times? So Jesus answers him quickly, but he, he's going to tell Peter and, 
his disciples and us, there is a more important question than how many. The question we should be asking is why? Why do we forgive? And so Jesus then goes and tells a story, uh, starting in 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with the servants. And as he began the settlement, the settlement process, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold, or in some of your Bibles, it's talents, uh, was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master of this king ordered that, that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay uh, the debt. And so, um, and then what would have happened is he would have been, you know, he would have been um, imprisoned basically till he could pay that back was just to say he couldn't pay that back. So we don't deal in bags of gold or the talents um, isn't a form of transaction we're used to. And so what does that equal? If you look it up in big seminary books, uh, they'll give a, a rough approximation of today's dollars, like $6 billion. So the problem when we read this story is that we're, we live in an age of stock options and Ponzi schemes and we might be able to pay that back. Like we, could, we might could figure out a way uh, to pay back $6 billion. But in this day and age, short of raising an army and conquering half the earth, which this guy probably wasn't going to be able to do, he was sunk. He couldn't uh, repay. And so in, in verse 26, the servant falls on his knees before him, before the king, and he says, be patient with me, he begged and I will pay you back everything. And I want you to remember that phrase because it's going to show up again. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Imagine if you are that guy. What, what that one minute in time would have been like. Because at one, at one moment, you will never see your family ever again, and you will literally rot in prison. You will spend your last days behind bars, never seeing the sun, never seeing your family, imprisoned. And instead of that, you get shown incredible mercy and you walk out of there scot-free. What, I mean, what an amazing turn of events. What it would have been like to be there in that court and to watch all that go down. Can you imagine just the drama, the ups and downs that you would gasp on both sides, go to prison forever? You're scot-free, right? And so what happens next is, um, is just fascinating, and we're going to feel like we're really morally superior when we, uh, we read this. But in 28, when that same servant, the one that was just had all his debt canceled, um, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins or 100 denarii, in some of your translation, and he grabbed him and he began to choke them. And he said, pay back what you owe, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him. And here's this phrase again, be patient with me and I will pay it back. So it is a repeat of exactly the same situation that just happened. This guy had a $6 billion debt, a hundred coins or a hundred denarii. A denarii is basically a day's wage. So they're saying this is about a third of a year's wage. No small sum. Uh, if someone owed you a third of what you make every year, that would be significant, but it's not, nothing like $6 billion. And so now the question is, what's this guy going to do? Now, he is fresh on the heels of being shown mercy, and we find out in 30. 
But the servant refused. And instead, he went off and had this man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt, which is to say he couldn't. And when the others saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went out and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. And he said, you wicked servant. I'd canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, which I'd never caught that before. I always just thought he went to prison. But now, now the master's really mad. And he's going to torture him until he should pay it back, until he pay back all that he owes, which is to say, he can't. And this is how uh, my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister uh, from your heart. Again, like what, what an amazing... Mini, like I, I just think about like this YouTube mini-movie, right, that lasts about four minutes. And I just see the court, and I see a guy like there who was watching it all go down, and he walks out after the guy had his debt canceled, and he's talking to his wife. He's like, babe, you're not going to believe this. At one moment, this guy was going to prison forever, and then he was, he was off scot-free. Hey, hang on, hang on. That, yeah, that same guy. I think he's like, he's choking. He's choking. This guy I know, hey, I'll, I'll, call you, I'll call you back. Right? And he runs and tells the master, and, and the guy goes back to the place that he had just been told he didn't have to go. I mean, what an amazing, what an amazing scene. And, and surely the crowd there, right, had to be just indignant. Are you kidding me? Right? The scripture said they were just furious because they were there. They witnessed the grace and mercy that this guy had been given, and he couldn't extend it to his fellow servant. So anytime Jesus tells a story, we're always, one of the things we're to ask is, who are we in this story? And the application begun, becomes uh, pretty clear pretty quick. Because the master in this story is Jesus. And the unmerciful servant is us. And the fellow servant are all our brothers and sisters, our spouses, our kids, our co-workers that we deal with every day. And as a Christian, we realize we have no moral high ground. Right? We, Christianity is inherently a self-deprecating religion. To kind of get into the game, you had to say that you weren't good enough and that God had to forgive you. That's how, that's how the, whole, the whole relationship started. And so we're recipients of God's grace, and, and it's like we, we receive that grace, and we've got the audacity to metaphorically choke out our spouse and demand that they repay a, a payment we didn't have to make ourselves to God. And so just a few thoughts on forgiveness. Let's talk about what it is and what it isn't and kind of how to do that um, and what is it? In, in this passage, it's really interesting. It's, it, the word of canceling uh, debt and forgiving are, are kind of the same thing. It's just in, the, in the Greek, it's called ephemi. And it's the same word that um, in the Lord's Prayer, when, um, when we're to pray, you know, forgive us our debts. It's this canceling uh, of the debt, or really, it's actually like sending it away. It's the same word for divorce. Uh, that's used in 1 Corinthians 7, 11. It's the same, same Greek word. It's to send this away. There's something that's owed, 
but, but I'm going to cancel it and just like send it away as if, as if it never happened. And that's what, that's what forgiveness really is. And it's agreeing, it's agreeing not to hold it over their head, right? Because you've canceled it. You don't bring up the cancellation slip or remind them. And then you try to move ahead constructively. So what is it not? What, what is forgiveness not? And sometimes it's better understood this way. It's first, uh, seven things, I think. One, it's, it's not saying that it's okay or minimizing it. Right? It was sin. Christ had to die for this. And we've been having a conversation with our kids about media and things like that. And we go, man, it's kind of crazy that we would laugh at something that Christ had to die for. And when someone commits an offense to you, it, it, it is a big deal. It demanded Christ's life for that sin. Second, it's not letting them off the hook. And in fact, it can sometimes be loving to let someone experience the consequences. For example, hypothetically, your 16-year-old runs a, uh, a traffic light and gets a $75 ticket and is told that he's to pay it. And if he doesn't, he'll have to be $25 uh, surcharge. And you get a, you watch your mailbox uh, a couple days uh, ago and you see a, a, um, a new piece of paper for $100 because it wasn't paid for on time. Uh, forgiveness can be granted, right? But I think it's still good to let your 16-year-old pay the, the full amount. I think that's actually a loving thing to do. If you disagree, we can talk, uh, we can talk afterwards. But um, it's also not an instant conferral of trust, right? And so forgiveness is granted instantly, but trust is usually granted over time. And so guys, if your wife, you know, when she walks into Neiman's, they know her by her first name and she's maxed out everything you have, you can forgive that. I don't know that I would open a new card and trust her and say, I trust you, I forgive you, have at it, right? Gals, if, you're, if your guy is addicted to porn and he's got all kinds of uh, viruses and websites on his, on his um Computer, I don't know that the most loving thing to do would be to get him a fresh computer with unlimited internet access and say, I trust you. In both of those cases, you can forgive. It might not be wise uh, to trust just yet. It's not forgetting. And so oftentimes as Christians, we think that if we're going to forgive, we should forget. And forgiveness is not, uh, forgetting is not a symbol of forgiveness, right? For, for, forgetting doesn't equal forgiveness. Forgetting equals like brain damage or some kind of lapse uh, in, our, in our memory. But we'll remember, oftentimes, we remember, we'll, we'll remember um, the hurt, right? But when that comes, I think what forgiveness is, is not rehearsing that and not getting ginned up about it is to say, I have forgiven them. Christ, you have forgiven them. Um, they are your son. They are your daughter. You don't hold it against them. Will you help me? Not either. And not, not start running through your head. If they only knew, I wish, I, you know, I, if they ask again, this is what I'm going to tell them. Or I'm thinking about doing this to get, uh, to get even. And the best illustration I can remember about or this is uh, Corey Tenboom. Um, if you remember, if you've read her uh, book uh, called Hiding Place, and she talks about just, it was, you know, during World War II and um, just, you know, hiding Jews and, and things like that as a Christian walking through that. But she talked, she went to, to go see her pastor one time and she said, um, I'm just having trouble with this 
forgiveness. I just still feel all of the emotion around this. I've forgiven, but it's just like it's, I, I can't get past it. And the, right at that time, outside the church bells, you know, big old church bells began to calm. And you can, you can just, like you weren't there, but you can hear them. And the pastor wisely said, Corey, every time you bring that back up in your mind, in your heart, it's as if you're pulling those church bells. And they will continue to resound in your heart and you're going to continue to feel the emotion of that until you quit pulling on the ropes. And I think it's a lot, a lot, very, very similar for many of us. That we just, because we're hurt, we keep pulling on the, on the, the ropes and it reverberates through our heart the pain. And if we'll just quit, and we'll remember that, that we're the unmerciful servant and we've been forgiven and so is our spouse, oftentimes the emotion will dissipate over time. Forgiveness is also not about the other person, first and foremost. It's about you and God. And um, forgiveness in many respects, is a, it's a gift you give yourself. We think about it as this incredible gift to our spouse, and it is, but it is a gift that we give ourselves, and it is a right response to God. Because number seven, forgiveness is not optional. It's not optional. Colossians 3.13 says, we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. As a Christian, we are commanded to forgive. And I don't know about you, but when Pam does something that, um, that I don't like or that I feel is a slight, there's a part of me that just wants to kind of let her uh, experience some of the same pain I do. Right? I just... I'm going to probably forgive you, but I just want you to like suffer just a little bit. Or I'll just kind of freeze her out a little bit, right? It's like, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. Nothing's wrong. She knows what's wrong. I know what's wrong. But I just want there to be some emotional distance there so she can suffer just a little bit, and then, then I'll forgive her, right? Or I might say I forgive her, and, and I do, but I just kind of bring it up at a very opportune time. Right? When I need something, when I need some chips that I can uh, manipulate in my favor, I might bring up something that I said I forgave. That's how I forgive. That's how you forgive. The scripture says we're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. And Christ has forgiven us instantly. He doesn't freeze us out. He doesn't make us pay. And he doesn't bring it back up and rub our nose in it. And that's how we're to forgive. And uniquely, the only way we can do that is uh, if we're in Christ and we understand that we, we are the unmerciful servant. So what are the steps for forgiveness? This is actually in your notebook. Um, this is Forgiveness in Action, uh, chapter 6. So I just, real quickly, um, the first is that we just pray. Right? We want to make sure that that we have searched our own heart and asked the Spirit just to point out everything in our own heart that we need to ask forgiveness for. And second, we need to uh, make sure that we're only dealing with one issue at a time. Right? If, our, if our spouse kind of gives us freedom and they say, I want to talk about this, you don't, don't unload everything all at one time. I say, hey, there's, there's a few things I'd like to talk about. Here's, here's kind of the first. Um, 
Third, the, the offender explores the pain and concerns um, on this issue. And, and so it would be to, for me to say to Pam, I, I want to talk about this issue and I want to ask your forgiveness. Um, but before I do, I, I'd love just to, to know what it felt like for you in that moment or uh, what that, how I hurt you or what do you want me to say. And it just keeps the grace that she's going to extend to me from being cheap. And I think once I understand my debt, then I understand the, um, the cost it was for Pam to extend it. Right? If the guy didn't know he had a billion-dollar debt and was forgiven, it wouldn't mean as much to him as once he understood his debt. And I think it just helps the other person also in their forgiveness process. So then the offenders to ask forgiveness and be specific. Pam, I am so sorry for the way that I raised my voice. I'm so sorry for the way that I led our family financially. I'm so sorry for the way that I did X. Will you please forgive me? And then the offended is to agree, to forgive. And number six, uh, the offender should make a commitment to change actions and attitudes. And here's what I'm going to do to try to keep that from happening. Um, and then... Um, you need to make sure that each other has a chance to, to kind of share. And, uh, and sometimes, um, if, if they don't, the, if the offender sometimes will say, but there's something you need to know as well. Um, that might not be the time to do that. If I go and ask Pam for forgiveness, it might not be the right time for me to say, and also there's about three things you need to know about that situation, okay? You know, you know intuitively, you know, okay? Just like you know, there's a... a a period of time that needs to elapse after sex before you pick up the remote control, right? Guys, like, you know. And, uh, and so, so many times in those situations, if you go, and there's some things I need you to know about you, then you know at that moment if it's just selfish or if it really is constructive. You'll know. Ask the Spirit. But it might be best for you to come back later, okay? This is hard stuff, guys. I, I know it is, um, I know it's hard, but um, I'm going to call you as believers, those of us that are, to forgive the way Christ has forgiven you, for you to see yourself as the unmerciful servant who deserved hell. Right? Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. What we deserve because of our sin, it's way worse than prison. It's separation from God forever. That's what we should have got. And 6.23 says, goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so we deserved hell. We got eternal life. What your spouse deserves is probably not love. It's not grace. It's not kindness. But I think in Christ, that's what we're commanded to give. And and if you need a selfish motivation, right, it's just good for you. And it's been wisely said that a lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting the other person to die. And I will tell you, some of those miserable people I have ever met on this planet have been people who have chosen, chosen not to forgive. And they will say, I can't forgive. I won't forgive. And they pay the price. They pay the price for it. So I, I know it's hard. I know um, the thought of forgiving someone who's wounded you and hurt, hurt you, or it's felt like they've even like 
murdered you with the, the extent of pain they've caused you. I know it can be tough um, to forgive them, but I know it can be done. And the reason I know that it can be done is because when Christ died for you and I, as the people that were actually crucifying him, were doing what they do to inflict as much pain as possible, Christ in that moment prayed for those people that his Father would forgive him. I, I know it can be done. I know it can be done. And our relationship with Christ, it depends um, on his forgiveness for us or of us. And in many ways, um, our relationship with our spouse uh, depends on the forgiveness that we give each other. Okay? Let me pray for us and then uh, Susan, you can come close us. You know what? Let's just do this. Well, let's all just close our eyes for a second, and um, it won't be long here. But uh, just before we go run, and um, some of us are wound up about the hurt and pain, rightfully so. Some of us wonder what kind of step we need to take. But I, you know what? I would just ask you for a second to think about yourself in that story about the as you as the unmerciful servant, and just remind yourself that you were the one in the story that deserved to go to prison, deserve to go to hell, and you were shown grace. So before we even talk about your spouse or anyone else, I just want you to remember the depths at which you have been forgiven. Just think about that for a second. Well, Father, that's the basis we have in which to forgive each other. We can forgive because you've forgiven us. You've shown us what it looks like to forgive. You've paid the price. You've modeled the way for us. And I pray, Father, that we wouldn't get stuck on high center here. We would push forward. We would grant forgiveness. We'd work hard, work really, really hard um, to not bring it up, to not rehearse the emotional pain and just send it away, divorce it from us. Would you help us do that? Father, would you use your word, would you use your spirit, and would you use uh, the people that are in our, our groups to help us do that? But would you, uh, would you help us write, uh, walk rightly with you and just restore our own souls by forgiving? Uh, we can't do it without you. And so we just pray that you would help all of us. In Christ's name, amen.